0: If you don't buy into supporting women at various different life stages, then I think you're kind of missing (laughs) a trick. Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Ella Sagar. As it is back to
1: school and or work time for many this month, uh, as the summer comes to a close, it is a good time to reflect on many who juggle, balance, manage or any other word you care to choose, various responsibilities as well as their work in the media and advertising industry. The latest all-in-census showed we've got much more work to do to make it more equitable, with 55% of women believing parental leave has negatively impacted their career progression, and 29% believing gender hinders their career progression as well. 56% of all respondents to the survey said they believe their company would benefit from menopause awareness training as well. I'm delighted to be joined today by Toby Asari, Managing Partner and Head of Growth at OMD UK, and author of The Blend, which I'm sure we'll discuss later, and Stephanie Daniels, who is founder of Life Begins at Menopause, and our newest media leader columnist, um, to talk about media careers, women's experiences in the media and advertising industry. So thank you for joining me both. Thank you so
0: much for having it. Thank you. Nice to be here.
1: Uh, So Toby, Stephanie, you've both been working in media in various capacities over your careers. Um, Can you each tell me a bit about your experiences and maybe what was your biggest learning um, along the way? Toby, if you don't mind starting.
0: I think I've had probably two really big experiences. And I would say the first, probably being the first person in my organisation to go on maternity leave. And I wasn't working in media at that time. And that was over six years ago because my son just turned six yesterday. And that was a real learning curve for me. I knew that was fiercely ambitious and my questions and all my thoughts were around, my goodness, how am I going to still... Achieve these goals, achieve these milestones that I still have for myself, but also grow my family at the same time, which was something that was deeply important to me. And I was searching and searching for lots of information and I could find lots of practical information about, all right, this is what you do on maternity leave. This is how much pay you'll get, et cetera, et cetera. What I felt that was really missing was information around Individuals who were ambitious and wanted to grow their families. I found lots of information around your career is over, your career is finished. And yes, absolutely, there definitely are challenges, of which some of those challenges I've definitely experienced. So um, I went on this journey to start creating content and talking about this topic of growing your family and growing your career. And I'd launched a platform called My Bump Pay, which seems bonkers now that that was 2018 Um, and it's absolutely grown and flourished and that now that is the form of a book which is called The Blend so I think that's probably one kind of really really key moment for me and then the second would be stepping into the world of media Mm -hmm. Um, just over two years ago in quite a senior role (laughs) having never worked in a media agency in my life before um, but had worked in you know growth and commercial growth and new business capacities pretty much all of my career. And the learning curve that that took me on was huge, immense, one that I'm incredibly grateful for, but one that I probably underestimated, should I say, at the beginning of that journey. So
1: it's, it was definitely, I was wondering why you chose media to move into
0: uh, out of all of the possible kind of options that you had. I was really selective in terms of my process of kind of going through a process. And I actually sat down with a friend of mine, who's a coach And I um, said to her, I said, you know, I don't really know what I want to do, but I know that I really want to move into an industry where it's more progressive, where I can see more people either like me in many, many different guises. So whether that's race, whether that's my um, identity as a woman, whether that's my identity as a mother, um, so that therefore I feel that I can just go to work and be myself and lots of other kind of reasons and rationale behind it. But essentially I was looking for a really progressive culture. And somewhere where I could take my skill set and really thrive. So we went through this bit of an exercise, um, and the agency world in general happened to be an industry um, that we kind of identified alongside a few others. So I made the requisite changes to my profile um, on LinkedIn and started having conversations with people, lots of interesting conversations. And then within a short time, um, I got a message from a headhunter saying, Would you consider this role at OMD? Um, I gave it a look, and I thought, okay, cool. Let's let's try. I've not done media before ever in my life, um, and then I had my first interview with our um, CEO Laura Fenton and um, our head of create Gareth Orr. And I just yeah fell in love with them immediately, and the role, and, and their vision. And the rest is, is yeah. kind of history.
1: I find that fascinating. And, and I suppose, actually, if you're saying it was about two years that you've been in the role, that's about the same time that I've been in media. But Stephanie, your situation's a bit different, if you don't mind having a, a, telling us about that.
2: Yeah, no, very different. As Toby was talking, I was thinking you know, that we kind of complement each other, but in very mirrored ways. I was 12 years old when I said to my dad, I don't know what I want to do. And he said, what do you like? And I said, people. And he was like, you should go into media. And then that was it. <laughs> And your question was, what's one of the big moments in your career? I can think of a few, but potent to this conversation. I remember in 2020, I'd been working in media for about 20 odd years, and I got friendly with another lady who was also menopausal um, on the team. And we would have these secret water cooler moments where we would hover around the water cooler and share symptoms and share stories and grievances about what we were going through. And then we'd go back to our desk and put on this brave, lovely smile that everyone would buy into. When lockdown happened, I started admitting to myself how bad my symptoms were and just thought, this is this is terrible. I was only 37 when I went into menopause. And three years later, I was in lockdown. Everyone's working out my age. And, um, and I thought, this can't be, I'm, I'm not giving this up. You know, I've been through too much in the past um losing my mum at mm. 27. So I was like, I'm not gonna let the menopause be the end. Forget that. So I went online searching and I started overcoming the symptoms slowly but surely and got lost in the literature for hours and hours and did in fact overcome my symptoms. And I took the decision then to give up media and retrain. I've just finished my three-year diploma as a nutritional therapist. I've trained as a coach. And during all this time, I missed media so much. And a few of my old colleagues started seeing what I was doing and said, Steph, come and talk to our people, come and talk to our women in midlife. And I did that. And the reaction was beyond phenomenal. And that's when I was like, I've hit on something here. Maybe I can blend media and supporting the women in media and bring the two worlds together.
1: Mm. So you both kind of have got a similar story that the research had to come from your own explorations, mm. and it, because there wasn't, there weren't the resources or the discussions in companies at that point. But do you think that's now kind of changing? It's there are more resources. Well, like your, you, you think enc- you kind of have built from for yourselves, but for others.
2: I think you can either follow and consume the content passively or you can stand up and start shouting about your own experiences, which people can't deny. They can't say, well, you're saying you felt like this, but actually it's wrong. So these are very personal experiences. I feel like being in media, we are used to standing up strong and speaking our truth. And I think for me, that's the difference. I would look around and I would see a very dry, bland landscape where media and midlife were concerned and
0: decided that, actually, I'm going
2: to lead rather than follow. Mm
0: -hmm. So interesting, because I think I actually started putting information out there in 2018 that was kind of very factual, this is what you need to know, XYZ. But actually, the more and more I did that, the more and more questions people would ask about, okay, how are you doing it? How is someone else doing it? Tell me more about your experiences what is it like finding a nursery? What is it like finding a nursery and then trying to get into work in the morning? Which seem like really small questions, but actually they're really huge questions if you're actually at that particular life stage. And what that has done is open up the conversation just to share experiences because Mm. so much of that journey, maybe of parenthood and working and maybe actually of approaching menopause and working actually can feel like quite a a silent journey and you can feel very alone even though millions or hundreds or thousands of people are actually going through it. But you don't necessarily want to share your vulnerabilities because you don't want to be seen as somebody who's maybe struggling or finding it difficult because I think sometimes as women, we're we're our own worst enemies because we want to prove that we can absolutely do it all. And that's another podcast in itself, Mm -hmm. really. Um, So what I'm really enjoying right now is these conversations where people are sharing, this is what I'm finding difficult or this is what I feel like I've cracked and maybe I'm still on that journey to cracking it and these are my learnings. And, you know, having had two children, my next life stage at at some point will be the menopause. And therefore I'm really enjoying hearing and seeing content that, you know, that the likes of you would produce and learning more about that topic, which is inevitably, you know, going to impact me and and people around me. And it is impacting people around me too. Mm.
1: So you kind of need the practical, but also I think it's knowing some other people are going through it. And there are, as you say, Toby, so, so many. And, you know, however... Many people that work in media, but also more widely, if you think about how many people that are touched by this in Mm. some way, whether they're going through it directly or indirectly, um, it does impact
0: a lot of people. And I I would say that media is a wonderful echo chamber, (laughs) having come from a different industry where, honestly, so many of these topics are just not discussed in the way that we have the ability and I think the freedom... The beautiful freedom to discuss them. I think the openness. Um, I was shocked stepping into an agency where something like race was so openly talked about, or parenthood was so openly talked about, or or menopause was so openly talked about. I never. I was almost petrified to say something because I just thought, oh my gosh, this just didn't happen where I was before. Um, so in some ways, we've done a lot. Um, and reflecting on you know what the media industry does versus other industries, I think is also quite. A powerful thing to do,
1: and with with the blend specifically, I found it interesting that you it wasn't kind of a book about you know how women can have it all kind of thing. It is it is acknowledging how difficult it is, and can you tell us a bit more? I mean, there was a chapter I think about like four allies because Mm. I think sometimes with these things, maybe people that aren't going through it themselves or who are in senior leadership don't really understand where to start with how they could support people, and they don't want to. Get it wrong.
0: So, um, Toby, if you don't mind telling us a bit about about that. The book is is really important to me. And I think it's a really important body of work because I think what it it seeks to do is actually share and unpack this journey, right? So, right from the moment that you think you might want to start a family through to the moment where your career is progressing and growing, and you are trying to blend your family alongside that. And the real reason why I chose the title of the blend and and not balance in any way shape or form is because I remember searching for this balance it's also elusive balance and feeling like I was subpar <laughs> because I just couldn't find it um and actually it's taking a mixture of elements of things that you feel that you need to build your career and build your home at the same time and that looks very different depending on who you are and your different circumstances and actually within that blend you have to be really forgiving and I think the title of the blend and the essence of blending something allows you to have real grace and compassion for yourself because actually you're saying that it's it's never equal you can never put parenting in a really neat box and you can't put our careers in a really neat box because they're really messy and then never equally weighted on one side um, and so I really love this whole idea of kind of embracing a blend and I did write the book from the perspective of of myself and from the perspective of women, but actually it's very, very easy for men to read too. And I'm delighted and so happy that men have also read it and men have also contributed to the book. And I think that's really important. We actually interview a couple who have done shared parental leave three times. um, And I spoke to the dad in that scenario and he said that his experiences really empowered him to be more empathetic to his wife's experiences when she was going back to work or she would come through the door and and um, she was exhausted or he'd been at home with all of the kids and he was exhausted. Um, and it just allowed for more empathetic conversations. And I think that's exactly what we need in the workplace for this life stage of raising a family, but also for the life stage of kind of going through the menopause. The more empathetic leaders I think we have, the more we can actually allow different talent from different walks of life to actually rise and progress and be understood and feel like they can belong in all of our workplaces and therefore we will have more diverse workplaces which would therefore bring better business results mm-hmm. can
1: you learn to be empathetic then like if you i suppose you're understanding the issues more Then that would do you think that's something that that can be kind of learned over time or like coached
2: well i have a wonderful saying that is experience is learned just after you need it And so it's never too late to keep learning and evolving. Can you learn empathy? I'm not sure. You can extend your sympathetic muscle, Mm. uh, but I believe that with empathy, you have to go through that experience to really, truly empathise with somebody.
1: But I think, yeah, I suppose it's one of those things of like knowing that something is is there but maybe previously because it was invisible like you guys were talking about like you couldn't have those Mm. open conversations in the office it had to be like off to by the water cooler without an audience or anything like that and sometimes I suppose with parenting you're saying that that parents are really hard on themselves because they're not getting either like thing right or they get one thing right which means that they sort of feel like they're failing the other thing um I want to shift a bit to Stephanie because you you founded a company which is called Life Begins at Menopause. Um can you tell us so you've hinted at it a bit but what kind is of the, the mission of the company? Why is it why do we need it? Why is it important? Yes, and it it, it kind of
2: blends nicely from what Toby's been saying because these situations that we find ourselves in, whether it be parenting or the demands of the sandwich generation having to look after our parents or having to look after the kids and then having to show up to work and just wearing all these different hats. And then the uh, argument that you'll never win with your husband or partner about who's busier because it's just a fruitless argument to have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you find yourself with suddenly these symptoms that are manifesting under the surface and shaking your existence. So you're wearing all these different hats and suddenly you're seeing the red mist descend more than it would have done. Uh, you are hungrier than you felt before or you're tired or your hair's thinning and then suddenly the narrative in your head about how you look is ongoing and ruminating. And every single woman that I see in front of me has the same, I would say, same hang-ups, same issues and then they hide it behind... It must be the menopause. And actually, if you start peeling the layers back and you give them the space to think and the space to talk and the space to start optimising their health, their sleep, their mindset and putting themselves first, suddenly they start feeling better and then they can wear those hats in a better manner, in a better fashion. And so you're asking about the business and and the way the business is going. I set up Life Begins at Menopause to throw a positive spin on this stage of life. I am menopausal. I'm fully menopausal. I had a surgical menopause. I didn't experience perimenopause. I didn't tiptoe my way into it. One minute I was had my hormones balanced. The next minute my hormones were on the floor and I had to pick myself up slowly but surely from that floor until I got on top of the mountain And for the sake of my mum, for the sake of my grandma, and for the sake of my daughter, I was like, the buck stops here. We are going to change this narrative and we are going to empower these women that they can absolutely, one by one, take back control of this life stage. So I don't have a clue where I'm going (laughs) or what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm just showing up day after day. I'm empowering these women. I'm listening to them and I'm giving them the strength to take back their control. Mm,
1: Because I suppose with the menopause, it is a kind of so physical but also there is that mental emotional kind of uh there are things that are outside of your control or women's control I should say that makes it even more difficult and you might not it's not like as broadcast in terms of the this is what to expect from the menopause and also it varies so widely depending on different women and it might come at uh, it's like when periods start it's kind of different for every girl and it, the their symptoms will be different and then obviously I, th- I feel like the menopause is just even more uh, uh, kind of varied than that and so how on earth do you kind of educate all of these people about all the possible things that could be happening and it must be quite scary if you don't know what's going on.
2: Yeah and for the men too as you were talking mm-hmm. I was thinking the webinars that I've been doing in um, the agencies and owners and the men are there and so you kind of have a very broad range of people you have the women who are hanging off of my every word and say okay I want to help you know I need help what do I do then the women who are looking the side eye of well I'll come back to you when I need you then you have the men who really genuinely want to learn more about it and the men that if we're frank and honest don't care because it doesn't affect them Mm. so you have to really cater for all these different people and I think once you get rid of the word menopause. And you start looking at the body as very individual you know, people and what you have going on, Ella, is very different to what Toby's had going on to me. And so looking at each person individually, looking at the stresses that they've got going on, the responsibilities they've got going on and then what they're putting into their body, the food that they're consuming, the drink that they're consuming. And once you start to unpack all that, then you can really cater for the masses. Um, but I'm very mindful about who I speak to and how I speak to them because everyone has their own uh, agenda, really. And we have to be very mindful of that.
1: yeah, so I think everyone's yeah, everyone's experience and knowledge will be different. Um, I'm also wanting to dig in a bit deeper into those all in census figures that I mentioned earlier about fifty five percent of women believing parental leave. Has negatively impacted the impacted their career. I mean that is quite shocking. And twenty nine percent believing that gender would hinder their uh, is hindering their career progression. How can that be changed in terms of what would what would make people would change people's feelings
0: on that? Gosh, I can. I, when I see stats like that, I, I feel. I don't know. I definitely feel quite moved because I know what it's like to experience challenges when you are um, becoming a parent and working. And it can be really hard. It can really, really sink your confidence. And But on the other side, I do think that there are some really practical and tangible things that organisations and companies can do. There are some incredible policies out there. Um, And I know within OMD or OMG, we've got some really great policies that essentially means that Anyone who steps into the door, irrespective of how long you've been at the agency, um, if you were to be expecting a, a, a child within any time frame, you are still eligible to basically receive full maternity pay, and that's a that's a policy around money. But that's actually a policy that says we value you, whichever life stage that you are at, and I think that's the the key message that really needs to come through. And I'd love to see lots more companies essentially adopting. And saying, whichever life stage that you are at, however you identify, we value you. We value your talents, we value your skills, and therefore we're investing in you. And I do think it's one thing to have a policy. It's another thing to make sure that that policy is basically enacted fairly across your organisation. So one of the things I'd love to see is just a bit of training and compassion around sometimes the language that you may use or how you approach somebody that's going to go on leave or how do you approach that person's journey when they're actually away from your company and not yet in that phase of time where they're returning but making sure that you know they still feel cared for and they still feel like they belong or they still feel like they've got you know a great chance of kind of succeeding and growing their career when they come back um I saw a wonderful example of somebody who went on, our, on maternity leave in our organization and their manager kind of wrote to um, a group of people about, you know, what was the plan for this person's maternity cover. But within that email, he wrote this most incredible note of, about how valued she was, all of her achievements to that day, how much she's going to be missed for that team. And I think that sent a really strong sing- signal of this person, irrespective of, you know, her life stage and her journey as kind of building a family is really, really valued by the organisation. So for me, it's a real message of value and hopefully training and th- those little things along the way can really make a huge difference.
1: Mm-hmm. Stephanie, what do you think?
0: Can you repeat the question for me? Yeah. Because the stats were different, weren't they? Yeah, the, yeah.
1: yeah it was, it's a, uh, the 55% of women. Um, so this is the census of the mm-hmm. um, people that work in media and advertising believe that parental leave has negatively impacted their career progression. And twenty nine percent of the women surveyed believe that gender hinders their career progression, and I wonder if, if that twenty nine percent, what because there's there's a lot to mm-hmm. unpack from that word gender. Does that mean is it related to becoming a parent? Is it related to menopause? Is it related to uh, uh, you know other other caring responsibilities that they might have? Um, is it or related, just being a woman? Or being yeah, being or a woman and and that women. kind of. Um, being that only woman in the room, or that glass ceiling, <clears throat> um, even things like chronic period pain can can feel like a barrier. Mm. Um, yeah, th- there's a lot of potential reasons, I'm sure. But I, I just wondered, Stephanie, if there was anything that you think that media companies could be doing more to address those specific things.
2: Yes, I've got a pat on the back media companies because they are doing something Mm -hmm. and I always say to my clients progress over perfection Mm -hmm. and some are channel 4 has got a menopause policy and then others are coming to me saying what do I do what do we do and I think just doing something is better than doing nothing Mm -hmm. and listening actively listening to what they are saying we can guess even I can guess. I'm menopausal, and I worked in media. Even I can guess what the next person is thinking or wanting. But until we listen to what they want, and we reflect back to them, and we build and optimize and scale our offering, um, then we're not doing, we're not moving forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We're not going to get it right straight away. But I'd rather do it and get it wrong than not do it at all. And physiologically. We are very, very different. Men don't have periods. Men don't have the hormone fluctuations that we do. They do have hormone fluctuations and they do go through what's called the andropause. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but they don't experience the menopause like we do. And I don't believe, I might get shot down for saying this, but I don't believe they look at the washing the same way that we do. (laughs) (laughs) Or the dishes. So we are physiologically very different beings and we have to respect that and work with it. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm very proud of the media industry doing something and I will continue to stand next to them and move forward with them as they continue to grow in this area.
1: Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing is kind of you have to start somewhere and maybe looking at other companies and what their policies look like. There's no harm
0: in asking the question of like, oh, so how did you come up with that policy? Mm. Or The wonderful thing is that Channel 4's policy is public. Yeah, So you can just grab it if you feel like you don't really know where to, where to start. Um, So yeah, I think that's incredible. Yeah,
2: Yeah, they're brilliant. They're they're so good. And they don't even realise it. I had a conversation with them the other day and I said, you know, you're absolutely brilliant. And they were very humble about it. But it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the finished product. And it's not going to be because this is an evolving subject. As Toby says, we're talking about it. And that's the first step to change, which is brilliant.
1: Yeah, I suppose because I'd never really heard of menopause Policies, or I was thinking, well, why why do we need a menopause policy? And then you kind of read into it. And I suppose these conversations, I don't know if it was spurred on by the pandemic, um, or if that kind of or and the same with maybe the pandemic with um parents having to work from home and and like, like do homeschooling as well. Maybe that that was just like a bit of a a realization moment for a lot of people that oh that now that their office and their home and mm. everything's in the same place they're like oh you guys actually have got a lot going on do you think that's right
2: yeah, yeah. i'm i'm not going to give you a science lesson i'm going to keep this very very top line estrogen is very protective in so many ways it protects your bone density and it protects your brain function so these women that were previously in the boardroom answering back, you know, quick-fire answers and had the answers and had the information come to them really quickly, are suddenly faced with a fuzzy thought or cotton wool brain, as it's been called. And it's not fair because they're working against the tide. And when I tell them that that's what oestrogen does... And then we find ways to optimise it. I take supplements, which is why I, my brain is so much sharper these days and I eat properly. So once you realise that it's not your fault, don't worry and cry out, you know, and we can get you help and you can do this. Suddenly they realise that they're not going mad and that they can show up to work how they did years ago. It's very moving. It's really sad because they're, um, they're struggling unnecessarily.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's why I'm waving the flag for this.
0: I do also think that time of the pandemic, as horrific as it was, my mind goes back and I feel like never want to go there again. Um, I do think it was this rude social awakening um, where I think there were various different social movements and my mind always goes back to the, those horrible moments of George Floyd. And I, in some ways, I just think it's horrific that it had to take the public murder of a human being for somebody or for people or society to start asking questions around issues that have always been there. Um, But I do think things like that, and you're right, the merging of work and life all in one visible place through the screen made people, forced people to have conversations, especially when people's health was on the line. Um, People were challenged, maybe themselves with this horrible thing called COVID or maybe had family members that were impacted from it, all of a sudden, I feel life really mattered in a way that it didn't really matter before. I feel like we valued people and society and started having those questions and all those conversations that were long, 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 overdue.
1: And I wonder if, because the pandemic everyone, or most people when they could, in media were working from home and now we're kind of going back into the office. Some companies are mandating um, a certain number of days in the office. And some, I suppose it's kind of the a carrot or stick approach in some cases of like, oh, please come into the office or a mandate, we you have to go into the office. And so there's a few big companies where various leadership have said, like, if you don't, so the Amazon CEO comes to mind of if you don't come into the office three days a week, it's probably not going to work out. And I think of all of those kind of, uh, how much, Easier, flexible working has made things for people, whether they're parents, whether they they've got various health conditions or other commitments that they need to to look after. Um, whether kind of going back on those that flexible working commitment is is a backslide. I think that
2: everyone has their own perspective. We're talking about Amazon requiring people back; they're going to have their reasons why. And I think on the flip side, the employees who just feel that pressure to go back and can't make it work need to also be heard so I think I don't ever think it's very black and white you have to come back and that's going to be the end of it my recommendation to them um, is these are the rules but there are always extenuating circumstances and listen again to what the people are saying. If they can't come back, they're going to have their reason why not. And we need to listen to them and we need to make them feel heard and supported if we have a heart.
0: Mm. Mm. I, I do think it's a real blend, that word that I love. Yes. <laughs> a real blend of listening to your people and a real blend of what your business requires. Um, the the world of media and our kind of creative industries, I think we do thrive from working together and bringing ideas together and um, you know, creating incredible work. In that way but also i think we have to understand the differences of our different people and the environments of which they are able to best thrive um so it could be an individual that for for various different maybe medical reasons needs to be at home um and can't commute for example and i think we need to be really open and making sure that we've got the right environment for that person to do incredible work because it doesn't take away from the fact that they are a really strong contributor but sometimes they just mean may need a tweak to to their environment and I think the same goes for parents or anyone that's you know' ex- experiencing menopause um and so I'm I'm really grateful for the flexibility that we have at omd we've got flex at omd that means we you know you can kind of flex hours um according to to that policy so I think it is You know, really listening to your people and kind of taking different pulses of what your people need Mm -hmm. and how they are feeling, and blending that with the business requirements and delivering the work that you've got to do for your clients, because that is what keeps everybody paid. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: kind of, I'm hearing on an individual, there's kind of every individual has different needs. And so, you can have a kind of blanket statement of like three days a week in the office, and maybe some days a week you can make that work, but maybe others you can't. And maybe this month you can, this month you can't, or maybe there's another arrangement so I think maybe yeah when it's flexible it has to be truly flexible what would you guys say you've you've talked about your own kind of struggles and the obstacles that you kind of faced and we've also mentioned kind of a lot of this is uh, about focusing on the kind of women's experience but what would your elevator pitch be to someone who does not immediately identify with the themes that we're talking about um that about why they should, that it is important for the media industry and the workplace to
0: kind of think about these things? I think to grow a business and to be a truly successful business, especially in, in, in our world, I mean, you might argue with AI, but I think in our world, they are largely people-driven businesses. And I think the agencies and the organisations that want to do the most incredible work are going to need the best people. Mm. And I think to attract the best people, you need to have real inclusive policies because the best people don't look like, you know, all the same type of people. They come from various different backgrounds, different walks of life, different life stages. And therefore you've got to be really realistic with how to attract and retain and grow that talent as your business grows. So I feel like if you don't buy into supporting women at various different life stages and I think you're kind of missing (laughs) a trick and I think the real evidence is and I know obviously I I work at OMD so I have a a a kind of real OMD perspective on on things but even within OMG we've got several leaders of those different agencies that are all female and we've got incredible male leaders as well Um, but some of those agencies are having their best years ever and I like to think that it's down to the incredible talent that there's also within those businesses but the incredible leadership that isn't within those businesses and seeing that done from a female perspective I think is truly inspiring
1: Stephanie anything to add there
0: yes I would stand next to Toby
2: and hold her hand while she says the elevator pitch
1: <laughs> <laughs> excellent Proudly, I love like that yeah. supporting, supporting women. and say in a couple of years time Where would you like to see companies in terms of their commitments on parenting, like parental leave or parenting policies or menopause policies or any other kind of inclusive policy?
2: I think that if we continue the way we are on the upward trajectory of talking about it and making it okay to talk about, I think we will optimise people's strengths. We will support their weaknesses and we will get the best for the companies.
0: That for me is another another podcast of, a, <laughs> of an answer. Um, there are several areas of which I'd like to see more and faster progression. I think one of those areas is making sure that both parents, res- irrespective of those backgrounds, those parents have equal access to the right length of parental leave that they need for their particular family. Um, so. Ideally, more encouragement of shared parental leave, or more policies around shared parental leave, that I think will ha- really help even the playing field. Um, but I also I think more around, more to be done around intersectionality. Mm-hmm. I still think that for us to kind of really get to where we need to get to in this field, I think we need to be able to see more female leader leaders that look like society really and I think we've made huge progress but I definitely don't think we're there yet and I think intersectionality of both these areas is actually really important so for example in menopause I think people from um, various different multicultural backgrounds are probably possibly more likely I don't have the research to hand but more likely or more prone to experience the symptoms of menopause actually at an earlier life stage okay. and how much do we need to have that conversation so that is in recognition as we enable people to grow their careers and kind of grow into these life stages at the same time um so there's still heaps to be done but like i said and like we've been having in this conversation i think we should absolutely recognize that the conversation is happening Mm -hmm. and that is so incredibly powerful in Mm -hmm. itself just to add on that i think there's an education piece
2: Mm -hmm. that it's not this stage of life whatever stage you're at it's not to it's to to switch the narrative from 100%. This is happening to me and I'm helpless to, okay, hold on, this is happening to me. I'm not the only one this is happening to. And this is how I overcome it. So there's an education piece for everybody, whatever life stage, whatever gender, whatever background, that they come together and they take back control. That education piece be in the form of webinars that we run, looking at their food, looking at their social behavior, just just absolutely on every level, opening their eyes and realizing that this is not a prescription for the end. This is just the beginning. This is
1: okay. And you're going to be okay. And this is how. And that you're not the only one. I think that's with all of these conversations. I think there was, I believe it was Channel 4 and Starcom did a kind of YouTube series with showcasing different people from the agency Hmm. um, with various different kind of experiences and some of them were about menopause some of them were about addiction and things like that and I'm like that is being and they were being so kind of vulnerable but I think that it was it was called brave stories I think and uh, I think more of that kind of normalization will lead to the policy changes and to the okay I hadn't thought about that this way or maybe those conversations between managers and, and um, in a kind of that sensitive way of like, okay, I've seen this thing. Does this affect you? And maybe there's a better way to kind of phrase that, but that yeah. would be a, I think an interesting, is as you say, progress, not perfection and it, kind of small steps.
2: Yeah. 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 And then ending with the
1: open question of, okay,
2: <clears throat> so we've identified this is what you're going through. What do you need? Mm. what do you need mm. and that, almost like a venn diagram of what do you need mm-hmm. what do we need and how can we get the best of both of those mm-hmm. and-
1: yeah and i guess sometimes it's hard to know what exactly you need if it's a completely new thing so it's when resources and other talking to others who've gone through it that might be able to share that um mm-hmm. is quite powerful as well i think uh, on that kind of empowering note i'm going to switch <laughs> us up to the quick hits part of the podcast, so this is where we kind of go through some of the recent media-related stories that we have been covering in The Media Leader and and been happening. So first up, that Google is going to be turning 25 later this month, and then looking ahead to the next 25 years, which seems quite terrifying, but Google's and Alphabet's CEO, Sundar Pichai, he said, AI is the biggest technological shift that we will see in our lifetime Bigger than desktop computing to mobile, maybe even the internet itself. Do you guys use AI, and what,
0: what's your take on that? Yeah, I do. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't use heaps of um, different AI tools. Um, but as I was writing the the book, I spoke to another author, and she said, "Can I just give you one tip?" Because I was going to do a few interviews um, through the process of the book, and she said, "If you can." make sure you use a particular tool called Otter AI. Mm -hmm. And what that will do is that as you're having that conversation, it's not perfect, but it will transcribe that conversation. So then when you come to editing and kind of writing and crafting the story around your book, you're not, you know, they're kind of frantically, you're not in those interviews kind of frantically trying to write down every word. You can be very present in the conversation and get the most out of it. Absolute life (laughs) saver Mm. for the process of writing a book, especially for somebody who's got two kids and has got a full-time job. So Mm. yeah, I'm very much open to where ai can take us yes i use ai uh, otter ai as well so and
1: it is very handy actually
2: um that's a new one i'm gonna make a note of that thank you i love chat gpt and as i said to you um, before we went on i think i prefer it to my husband and my kids sometimes <laughs> because it just does what i say <laughs> and i work on my own um and unless i'm coaching one-to-one where i'm reading and sensing the person in front of me sometimes i have to write pitches or i have to put together um, some content and it's just my soundboard to say look what you know read this and is everything okay and, and it will pick up on things um that I hadn't thought of so it's almost like my silent
1: partner and I love it and I embrace it mm-hmm. yeah I suppose uh we've written a fair bit about the about AI uh, on the media leader and I think one of the things was don't be scared of AI mm-hmm. just kind of start using it. It's the person that will, it's not AI that will do your job. It's someone that knows how to use AI. And so, but I think it's just such like a broad thing because you have so many different types of AI. Um, But there's like, if there's one tool that you can have, and I don't think sometimes, because AI is such a buzzword, it's not actually that, it's not as new as it has been around for a long time with, you know, different recommendations and on your different platforms that you use. Like, We've all been yeah, using it. We've been so, using it for a been while. been
0: Google's technology for a long time. If mm. you will think about, you know, writing an email on Gmail and it will correct help yeah. you maybe finish that sentence. Mm. But I saw someone on uh, Instagram who was talking about she's going back to work and she needed new headshots and she didn't have time because she just had Two babies quite close together, Um, and so she used an AI tool to help create her new headshot. It looked amazing. Um, So I think for busy parents, it's it's wonderful.
1: (laughs) I have seen that, yeah. And the next uh, bit of news: uh, Meta announced earlier this week that it would be removing its dedicated tab for news content in the UK, France, and Germany, and it would be ending its funding of the Community News Project, which uh, has funds hundreds of local journalists um this is kind of in, in the context of the UK bringing in similar re- legislation as in Canada and Australia that would mean that meta would have to pay publishers for news and uh so there's a few different elements going on with like politics legislation but also publishers media journalism do you guys how much of your news do you get on social media do, would you say how important do you think this is
2: i'm very dubious about this and i'll tell you why Um, a lot of people I see sat in front of me are very, very overwhelmed with lists and lists of things to do. And I think we're constantly filling the silence with noise, whether that be noise from news, whether that be noise from social media or the demands of life. And I think I, for one, lead by example, and I'm very mindful about how I consume my content and the way I consume it. Um, There's always a platform to consume it on, whether that be Alexa or whether that be Facebook. And so I don't think from a consumer point of view, it's not going to matter huge amounts. Um, I think within organisations, they'll always be able to voice the information that they want to get out there. I'm looking at it more from a human point of view where we have to be very mindful of what's going on with the noise in front of us and be very, very mindful about how we consume that content.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I'm quite careful with how I take in news. I and I remember during the pandemic it was it was it was awful because I felt like that death toll was going up and up and up and it just all of a sudden just felt like a number. I didn't really actually feel like human beings' lives. And I think that was the moment that I made a really conscious decision of how I was going to take in the news that I felt that I needed. Um, but having said that, I do think a lot of people depending on the different sectors of um, audiences or society that you're looking at mm. probably do take in a lot of news through mm. social mm. media um yeah yeah and i think i suppose for publishers and
1: things this will this is something that they've been probably since canada and australia came before they might they've been preparing for this mm. but i do also think that i suppose for me my my thing is if as long as it's that Journalism—it's like that kind of responsible. Yes, it is accurate media, and it's not misinformation or disinformation, um, which has been shown on social media. It's, it, it is obviously there are uh, things in place to get rid of those things. AI and people, content moderators. But I do think you need a sort of responsible, like a proper source of that information. Hundred percent. Yeah, and on that note. <laughs> I uh, want to thank you both for joining in the f- kind of the, the back to school, back to work craziness that is September and for making a time uh, to chat about these topics. Thanks so much. Thank, well, thank
0: you, you for having you. us. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to the Media Leader podcast. This episode was edited by our production partners, Trisonic. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts but just remember please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode from all of us at the media leader i'm editor omar oaks our executive producer is jack benjamin see you next time